But first, Delia Ramirez is going to be the country's first Latina congresswoman from the Midwest. She won her race in Illinois' new third congressional district, which state lawmakers redrew last year. I'm still here, joined by WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney, as well as Chicago Sun-Times chief political reporter Tina Spondelis. Thank you for sticking around, folks. Appreciate you. Yeah, for sure. So We're awake. Yeah, you're wide awake, awake still. Yeah, where's the caffeine at? We- <laughs> so, so this this race, the the new third congressional district. What do we know, Dave? Well, I mean, it's a district that is, uh, as as we mentioned last hour. I mean, it it, it pretty much goes horizontal through. Uh, you know, it starts kind of on the the right in uh, Logan Square. Extends all the way out into DuPage County near West Chicago, and it picks up a lot of uh, Latino communities in places like West Chicago, Bensonville, uh, you know, around O'Hare, uh, and, and certainly Humboldt, Humboldt Park, and, and Logan Square. And so, you know, Ramirez is a, a former state lawmaker. She's allied with uh, Congressman Jesus Chuy Garcia. Mm-hmm. Um, the you know she really didn't face a serious contest in the general election. I mean, the Republican in that race, uh, Justin Barrow, she basically doubled doubled the vote count over him. So Democrats, when they redrew, redrew that district, pretty much ensured that it would be a Democratic seat, and, and lo and behold, it is. Yeah, and as we try to get the new congresswoman-elect Delia Ramirez on the line, Tina, I mean, as I said, history made here in, in, this, uh, in this district. She is the first Midwestern Latina who's been elected to U.S. Congress. That's got to be a huge deal. I'm, I'm sure she's over the moon at this point. It is a huge deal. And uh, Dave just mentioned Chuy Garcia. He's expected to launch his bid for mayor. And I believe she's on the line. So I will pass it along to you. (laughs) Well, she's joining us now. Uh, Welcome to Reset, Congresswoman-elect. Good morning. Happy and honored to be here. How are you feeling today? You know, when you said Congresswoman-elect, I just got, you should have seen my face. Oh. (laughs) Butterflies. All smiles. Gratitude and in awe. So you won in the newly redrawn 3rd Congressional District. You know, the Chicago Tribune is reporting that around 47% of the district's residents are Hispanic. What does this mean to you? This means uh, that we're sending to Congress a wife of a DACA recipient and a daughter of Guatemalan immigrants who worked really hard, factory jobs, and worked endlessly so that their daughter can have a better life than they did. And she's about to represent 757,000 people in Congress. Is she ready for that task? Hey, I'm rooted and I'm ready for Congress. You're, you're going to Congress from the Illinois House of Representatives. So what are you going to take to Washington from that experience? I just came out of an ISA press conference and we were talking about building and the work we've done in Illinois. I will be focusing. There's a number of issues we have to work on, and I know we're looking to see, you know, what the final numbers will be for the House and the Senate. But I know clearly that there are two things that I have to focus on that's done here, which is housing and immigration work. I ha- I am not going to just co-sponsor legislation that's going to move the needle on immigration. I have to be one of the leaders on it because it's personal for me to yeah. make sure that DACA recipients finally have a pathway to citizenship. And unlike my husband and the two million who are still living in shadows, um, are able to finally be able to fully live here without the fear of a judicial decision is one of the most important things for me. And when we talk about economy, so many 
Latinos, but I would say people as a whole, purchasing a home for them is an opportunity to create a level of wealth and something to leave behind for their children. Making sure that we are addressing the issues of housing and security across mm-hmm. the country, especially in this district, will also be something that I'm going to be working hard and, and very earnestly on every single day in Congress. Yeah, your, your campaign priorities included housing, justice, health care for all, public education right. as well, and LGBTQ and women's rights. It, it, it all intersects. You know, you can't talk about housing and I talk about health care. You can't talk about health care without talking about the impact that it has in our ability to access education, right? All of this. You know, if you ask me what really moves me and how it all connects, is ensuring that we have full inclusion of all people in this country where they can have quality of life and retire with dignity. It's what I heard people asking for in Wheaton. It's what I heard people talk about in Carroll Stream in West Chicago. And I heard them talk about in Addison and Bensonville. We want to make sure we have fully funded public education. We want to make sure that you work on clean energy legislation so that we have a planet for our grandchildren to come. Um, But we also want to retire with dignity, especially when 10,000 Americans become 65 every single day in this country. Yeah. Uh, Congresswoman-elect, this is Dave McKinney. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. Um, So I've got a quick question for you. I mean, uh, from your time in Springfield, you had the advantage of really operating in the majority because Democrats controlled the Illinois House. You may be going into a situation in Washington where Republicans and, and you know, possibly a, a speaker, Kevin McCarthy, are controlling things. I mean, what kind of challenges would that present for you in, in terms of getting anything done there? It certainly will be difficult. But here's what is extremely important, even more so. Understanding how to work with people and how to work across caucuses and also across the aisle. While I come from a majority house with a Democratic governor, I have a number of pieces of legislation that I had chief co-sponsors that are Republican, establishing state-designated cultural districts, uh, legislation to be able to build on the development of affordable housing. This is not a Democrat issue. This is an issue for all of us. Having someone that understands how to find commonalities will be really important, but also someone that understands the importance of coalition building. That is something that I learned at a very young age when I became an executive director at 21. How do you ensure you bring others with you, and how do you move the needle on the resources while you actually build on to get the majority again in the legislative wins we're going to need to have? over the next five years. I mean, could you envision yourself, for example, working with Republican members of the delegation? I mean, a, a Congresswoman Mary Miller, for example? You want to hear something funny? I'm part of an adopt the legislator program with the Illinois Farm Bureau, and I've been assigned to the area where Mary Miller, Darren Bailey, are the senators and congresspeople. And uh, I've worked with those farmers for the last four and a half years. I'd say to you that it would be very, very difficult, right? Um, but I also have the ability to connect with people, even those that are so far, so far in ideologies as Mary Miller is with me. Um, I've been in her area. I understand that area. And I also understand that people there want jobs. People there want to be able to retire with dignity. People there want their kids to be able to have high quality access to education and hopefully come back to their neighborhoods. You know, last night when you talked to a crowd of supporters uh, Congresswoman-elect, you you talked about the glass ceiling. You said the glass ceiling just broke. 
What did you mean? There are 35 million Latinas in the entire country. That's an undercount, probably. 13 were in Congress, not one from the Midwest. I will be the first Latina in the entire Midwest. And one that comes from a working class and a mother who works in a minimum wage as a home care worker on Medicaid. That glass ceiling was extremely thick, not just because I'm a Latina, a woman of color, but because I come from humbling beginnings with parents who are still struggling to afford their own health care. Their daughter just broke that glass ceiling for the millions of other women who look, who have experienced the things that I experienced. That is Delia Ramirez, the congresswoman-elect in Illinois' 3rd Congressional District. State Rep. Ramirez, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Let's turn to another winner headed to Congress. We've got Congressman-elect Jonathan Jackson on the line. Welcome to Reset. How are you? Thank you so much. Doing well. How are you feeling? I'm feeling fantastic. I feel like it's um, very hopeful. I'm excited about the freshman class that's coming in. I'm glad that um, great people are coming out, speaking up. Um, The early voting turnout has certainly helped our cause. And I think... um, I can see I can see light. I'm hopeful. Yeah. Well, you had your father, the Reverend Jesse Jackson, at your side when you won last night. What was that like? Oh, my gosh. You're not going to make me cry. Um, but I am so grateful to God that um, my father is healthy enough to come out. He's had some health challenges recently. Mm-hmm. And he's my, he's my superhero. He's my champion. And, um, and so at this stage in, in his life and our family's life, that uh, I think it's a testament uh, to his great works. You know, there's been, um, since 1789, 10,427 people in the Congress, uh, 162 African-American, and my mother and father put two young men in there. So. Yeah. Well, you know, this is no small feat. You're going to succeed longtime Congressman Bobby Rush, who has represented the 1st Congressional District for nearly 20 years. What's on your mind as you prepare to step into this role? You know, he's been there 30 years, 1990. 30 years, yes. And um, I think that there's um, enormous challenges on the in the city and on the south side that we have growing poverty. We've got two deserts, if you will. Um, during the course of this campaign, two more grocery stores closed in Inglewood. What that means is more parents will have fewer options and it'll be tougher to give their children food and nourishment. We've got rising gun violence. If we weren't talking about COVID, we would see that the leading cause of death for children in the United States of America is gun violence. We Mm -hmm. have to confront that. And your campaign emphasized the need for Medicaid for all and, and a Green New Deal. What do you hope to accomplish in, in service of these goals once you get into office? Well, in particular, we have to uh, in 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 particular, um, we have to fight to focus on the Medicare for all. We have children that are not uh, seniors that, that that are not being covered uh, properly on insurance, and I hear a heartbreaking story one after the other of people that have been pensioned and are paying $700 a month and rising insurance and they're taking their medicine in half doses, that, that's heartbreaking. So I am a true champion. Uh, my, both of my parents are now uh, approaching 
father's over 80. My mother is um, approaching 80, and they have medical needs. And so I think it's a trap that many of us feel we're locked into with our family trying to become experts on medical care. Um, so we have enough insurance. We just don't have enough care. We need to be imaginative and think about a pipeline of creating more doctors, trying to get primary care, especially care uh, in the heart of the city on the south side, is really disastrous. Dave, you've got a question for the congressman-elect? Yeah, uh, Congressman uh, Dave McKinney, congratulations on your win. Um, so a, a quick question for you. Uh, the, the U.S. Supreme Court has, has a case before it now dealing with affirmative action and, and uh, universities. And, you know, there's a, a sense that this court, the way it's constructed now with a conservative majority, that it, it may uh, weaken some of the long-established affirmative action principles that, that we're all familiar with. Can, can you talk a little bit about what the state of play is currently with, with affirmative action and how, how, as a congressman, might you respond to a Supreme Court that, that is determined to erode some of those safeguards? Well, let's look at the benefits of affirmative action. It can, it can fill in the gaps for people that have missed opportunities that have the potential that simply need more of the exposure in order to achieve certain numbers. So these are highly qualified individuals that are coming from not the normal standards of persons that are selected for promotion. Case in point is General Colin Powell. General Colin Powell was a beneficiary and an advocate for affirmative action, although the Republican Party did not accept his heat and call, but he's a general or was a general because of affirmative action. He did not qualify under the standard measurement and test. And we all know he had the capability and talents and other things. That was under the Jimmy Carter administration. He became a uh, general. Going forward, the universities are saying, we need culture and we need diversity. Having all the students that simply had one narrow measurement of, of intelligence, as demonstrated by an entrance exam, does not fulfill our mission for educating our student body. And so look at the criteria by which you can get into the university if you are a legacy child meaning you don't necessarily have to have the best grades, but you may have more money. You can come from a rural area, and that's considered for uh, action, if you will, affirmative. If you are a female, if you are an international student, the only one that's being considered by the Supreme Court now to be stricken from affirmative action is race. If you're African-American, if you're black, if you come from um, a historically under-resourced, deprived area in this country, you cannot be considered that that is discrimination. This is very cynical. It's very mean. Mm -hmm. The military is asking for affirmative action. Universities are asking for affirmative action. So I hope that the courts will do what is right and honor the civil institutions that make our country great. Congressman-elect Jackson, thank you for your time. And thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we've been breaking down election results in races throughout Illinois. Now let's zero in on Cook County. Democratic candidates running for countywide seats held strong leads throughout the night, easily winning the races for county clerk, treasurer, and nearly every seat on the Cook County Board of Commissioners. Board President Tony Preckwinkle also declared victory last night, sailing past Republican challenger Bob Fioretti and winning her bid for a fourth term. She's joining us now. Hi, President. Thanks for joining Hey, how you doing? 
doing well. Uh, you know, Democrats in Illinois, including yourself, you, you saw a lot of races go your way last night. So I, I wonder your reaction as you saw those results coming in. Well, I'm, needless to say, I'm very pleased and I'm grateful to the people of Cook County and the state of Illinois for placing their trust in the Democratic Party. And I think we deserve it. And, you know, I, I'm a history teacher and I've always thought that one-party government is a bad idea. You need the competition of ideas and ideologies. But we're at a moment in our history in this country in which the reasonable, reasonable people are all in one party. <laughs> it's, it's really discouraging. Your platform focused on the uh, Guaranteed Income Program and uh, creation of uh, a Department of Mental Health. So what does this victory say about what Cook County voters want from their board president? Well, I've never made a secret of what my values are or the the initiatives and programs that we're going to pursue. Um, We've said that we're going to use a significant portion of our American Rescue Plan Act resources to uh, create a a Department of Behavioral Health Services within uh, Cook County Health and staff that up. We've talked about our guaranteed income pilot, $42 million, Mm -hmm. a two-year program, the largest one in the country. And we're also... Um, pursuing a medical debt initiative in which we just pay off people's medical debt and and send them a letter telling themselves so they can clean up their credit and ease the financial burdens that they face. So, um, as I said, I've talked very uh, openly about those things, and apparently those are ideas and programs that the people of Cook County are supportive of, and I'm grateful. Criminal justice reform was a hot-button issue in many races in Illinois, and yours was no exception. So what message do you think Cook County voters are sending in regards to that topic? Well, I think there's no question that we've had a, a broken criminal justice system in this country for a very long time. I usually describe it as chewing up black and brown people. Um, disproportionately, the people in our, our jail, the detained in our jail, are black and brown. And I don't think that's a reflection of uh, the relative levels of criminality in black and brown communities. It's the way our criminal justice system works and hyper-policing in black and brown neighborhoods. And we need to do everything we can um, to address those past wrongs, and um, we're trying here in Cook County. And and we're grateful for the the work of the state of Illinois. The legislature passed the Safety Act, which goes into effect in January, and I understand they're going to be doing some um, tweaking uh, of the the legislation in the veto session. Uh, But, you know, I think we're committed to a criminal justice system that is both more fair and more just and doesn't penalize people for poverty or reward people for affluence. And, you know, I'm grateful for that. What lessons has the Democratic Party learned from this election for 2024 and beyond? Well, I think a lot of great work has been done at the federal level over the last two years. You know, if you think about the American Rescue Plan Act, it's the largest investment in our people and local government since the Great Depression. That's almost 100 years ago the infrastructure bill. I mean, there's just a number of, of really good pieces of legislation, investment in our country, and we have to get the word out about that. I, you know, I think we've done a lot of good work, uh, and we haven't probably paid enough attention to uh, promoting that good work. And so over the next two years, I hope there's a concerted effort by the Democratic Party to remind the American people of the good work that's been done under President Biden's leadership and with Democratic control of Congress. Uh, and hopefully that will be reflected better in our results in 2024. You said a moment ago that the uh, criminal justice system is, is broken. Has been broken, yes, and we're doing our best to, to, to correct it. I mean, look, this is the wrongful conviction capital of the country uh, in Chicago. If you think about 
the Burge cases. If you think about Rivera on the northwest side, uh, you know, we've got pattern and practice of um, being very careless about our prosecutions. And one of the things I'm very grateful to Kim Fox for, our state's attorney, is both acknowledging those past wrongs and doing everything she can to correct them. Um, you know, that's that's hard, difficult work. It isn't always popular, but it's it's necessary. If we're ever going to restore confidence in the criminal justice system and the communities most impacted by it. Dave McKinney, you got a question? Yeah, uh, President Preckwinkle, congratulations on your win last night. Um, Thank you. Uh, a quick question for you. I mean, you're, you're a, an astute uh, political observer, having watched elections here uh, for a long, long time. I, think I mean, a, are you saying this is a reflection of my age? Not well, it's it's a, it's on. it's a reflection of our age, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> so misery loves company, right? Um, but but uh, you know the the Republicans, at least since 2012, from what I can remember, they they've they've made Mike Madigan a perennial uh, target in their campaign advertisements, and they did so again this year in the Supreme Court elections, and and it didn't seem like voters responded to that. I mean, how much longer do you think? Uh, well, I guess first off, what do you think about the tactic of using Madigan as a as a uh, you know uh, pinata, and and how much longer do you think Republicans are going to be doing that? Well, clearly they they think that's in their interest uh, that they should continue to hammer us um, uh, for the alleged crimes of the speaker. But I think that in this election it proved to be uh, ineffective, and I presume as time passes it will be less and less effective. So. Maybe they'll decide on a different tactic. I, I can't speak for them. I don't know what motivates them or how they intend to pursue their goals. But um, I think the effectiveness of it, although it, it may have been more substantial in the past, it's surely declining in significance. President Preckwinkle, we've got a question for you from Chicago Sun-Times, Tina Spondelis. Hi, President Preckwinkle. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. I, I just wanted to ask about um, Sean Morrison being the only Republican incumbent I believe he has a narrow lead at this moment. Um, do you think that's harmful at all to just have one Republican on the county board? Do you think that there's room for dissent? Well, I always think there's room for dissent. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I am a Democrat, and I spent most of my, my 20 years in the city council being part of the loyal opposition when there was a Democratic mayor. So I, <laughs> I, I definitely believe in dissent. But as I said earlier, we're at a moment in history in which the Republican Party has committed itself to election denial, committed itself to denying women comprehensive health care, uh, committed itself to a very defin narrow definition of who is an American. I mean, if you listen to some of the Republicans, you would think that anyone who is not a uh, native-born white Christian is not an American. I mean, what kind of nonsense is that? The Democratic Party has always, at least in my lifetime, stood for inclusion, uh, more likely than the Republican Party. And that inclusion is, is religion, it's race, it's gender identity, it's, as I said, women's ability to control their own bodies. And I wish there were more people on the Republican side who shared what I believe are reasonable positions on those subjects, and there aren't. That's Cook County Board President Tony Prackwinkle. Thank you so much again for checking in with us today, and congrats again on the win. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, Republicans did not win big last night. The red wave has not materialized in the House yet, but you know where it did materialize? 
the great state of Florida. Definitely not a Republican wave, that's for darn sure. I was in charge of Guam, so I want to take credit for that. But you know, I, I think a lot of Republicans like me are, are waking up this morning going, what could have been? It's now a toss-up on who will control the House and Senate for the next two years. Key races are still too close or early to call. Heading into yesterday's election, it did seem all but assured that Republicans would win big. So why didn't that happen? And are Republicans conceding? Here to give some insight is Chris Roebling, Illinois Republican strategist. Welcome back to the show, Chris. Hey there. How are you, Sasha? I'm doing well. I wonder what's on the top of your mind this morning. Well, I, first of all, I, I've known Tony Preckwinkle for probably 35 years. I got to know her at BEZ, you know, when I was interviewing her many thousands of years ago. And so I have a lot of respect and appreciation for her. However, I believe her characterizations of the Republican Party are, are obviously uh, inaccurate. And uh, yet, I think it is important for us to, for Republicans uh, and for anybody who cares about a two-party system throughout the entire country, uh, in every neighborhood to understand that, make a long story short, I would say President Trump uh, cost us Senate two years ago, and he likely cost us the Senate this year. I say that as somebody who was not on the Trump train during the primaries, but who supported him once he won the nomination and supported him through most, most of his policy choices, not all, but most of his policy choices. But what happened in the last six uh, weeks of his uh, presidency is inexcusable. And um, uh, that's not to say that I agree with the uh, definition of denialism that Tony's using. But I can tell you, I don't think that Trump is the future of the party. Republicans centered voters' frustrations about high gas and grocery prices in their campaigns. Many Republican candidates also stoked fears about crime on the campaign trail. These seemed like issues that were top of mind. Why didn't this translate into wins, though? I disagree with your characterization of stoking fears, and I am very disappointed that Tony did not take the position of the victims of crime in her conversation a moment ago. I think, I think you've got people all over the country who have lost loved ones uh, because of policies like those pursued by Kim Fox. Uh, which I think makes a tougher question for me to answer than the one you posed. And so let me answer the tougher question. Um, You take a look at somebody like Ron DeSantis, or you take a look at any of the Republican governors who were reelected, and I think what you can see is consistent application of the constitutional provisions that protect defendants as well as society. And I think that's that is the story that comes out of Florida. That's what's pointing to the future. We're not going, you know, Ron DeSantis fired a prosecutor in Florida because that individual had announced prosecutorial nullification. Uh, A lot of people in the national media went bananas or they went ballistic or their hair caught on fire or whatever. Um, But what he did made a lot of sense. Sorry, we've got some dogs out here. Um, And I'll tell you, I think that uh, the results in Florida cannot be diminished either as a success for DeSantis or as a roadmap for the future. Democrats rallied around abortion access. Do you think that that's what propelled them to victory? 
Well, I don't know. I think in certain places, yes, but in certain places, maybe, uh, and in other places, no. I, I, I don't. I think that what happened. <laughs> the real fundamental problem for the Republicans is we've got um, the the most stark diminishment of real wages for average Americans in 40 years. We've got the highest inflation in 40 years. We've got a crime wave, which is not something we're stoking fears about, but we're something regular people are dealing with. We've got um, real questions about whether or not the economy is growing enough so that we can continue to prosper. We've got the worst, one of the worst presidential approval ratings uh, in the last 50 years. And we didn't have red wave. So I, I think that the issue for the Republicans is why not a credible alternative? Now, I have my own thoughts on that. But uh, basically, we didn't nationalize the election and adhere to a generic uh, campaign approach. But I think the whole party now has to take a look at this. I believe we're going to end up winning the House. So we will have a place at the national table. And, and we're going to have to be very shrewd about how we deal with issues. Would we be having a different conversation right now if Mayor Richard Irvin had won the primary? No, he is a flawed candidate, as was reflected in the results of the primary. What's happened in Illinois is a, a, a and you know, this is a, sad to say, Governor Thompson, who was a really historic figure, um, did not beget a strong Republican party. And therefore, we've had internecine warfare ever since he left office and a, a fair amount while he was still in office. So, so the, the, the problems that create a county board where in, in the old days, thank you, you know, seven Republicans and 10 Democrats. Now it's what, uh, 16 Democrats and one Republican. So they, there are some very serious shortfalls in the uh, local Republican Party. And um, boy, we could take a whole series of podcasts, but I don't think anybody would listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> the the Trump backed candidate Mary Miller for U.S. House in the 15th district did win, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I mean, I don't think that. I, I, I perhaps she won the primary because of Trump. I don't know, but you know, Trump is. I I, I think that the January 6th committee. You know, and I watched. I think I watched all of the TV shows that they put on and they illustrated to the average voter that Trump um, after the December 1st briefing by Bob, Bill Barr, um, uh, he, um, he basically ignored reality and was moving towards some kind of uh, very un-American uh, coup or something. I don't know what the heck they were doing. I, I wasn't a part of it, but uh, it wasn't the kind of uh, transition that we're used to. And I, I think that although they were unctuous and one-sided and decidedly biased, uh, the, the point of Trump's own behavior, especially when it was related by Republicans to the Democrat committee, um, actually found a home in the, in the consciousness of the voters, yeah. as it should. You know, he was wrong. He, what he did was wrong. Somebody's got to pay. And the idea that you can that's very different, by the way, from uh, what I think Tony was talking about, denialism. I was commissioner of elections and I, I, I welcomed every question from BEZ or BBM or MAQ. I mean, I, 
there there was denialism all the time from Democrats and Republicans. Mm -hmm. And and Democrats have always questioned results and they've always held administrators to a high standard as each American should. That's not denialism. That's Americanism. And we all ought to be concerned about how elections are administered, whether it's in Chicago or Tampa, Florida or, you know, I don't know, uh, Tempe, Arizona. Tina Svondell is with the Chicago Sun-Times. Hi, um, I have a question about uh, Dan Prof's PAC, the people who play the rules, just that, you know, he contributed millions to help Bailey, and he also contributed some money to some downstate um, races and appears to have lost many of them. Just wondering if you think he still has a future in Illinois. Uh, Dan has moved to Florida, uh, but he works in Illinois, and I, I think that he's a welcome voice in the Republican Party, um, and I think that you cannot create a party in the middle of a campaign. And what what has happened in Illinois is such a long term um, uh, decay, such a long term decay. Not not uh, uh, Dan Prof, not Chris Roebling, not uh, you know bring in Carl Rove. You can't. Not there, there isn't anybody in the world who is going to create an Illinois Republican Party in the middle of a campaign. So uh, I, I, I think Dan is right about 99.7% of the time. Hello? Uh, Chris, yeah, I would say a lot of Republicans in the state disagree with that, that he's a welcome part of the party at this moment. Well, I think, I think the establishment Republicans who are part of a combine deal with the Democrats find him to be an irritant and an annoyance. I find him to be a breath of fresh air because I don't think that we should be involved in kind deals with the Democrats. I think that we should be providing the kind of leadership that you see from Ron DeSantis and a lot of other, you know, well-intentioned Republicans, you know, uh, around the country. Okay. I mean, I think there's a lot more to the party than aping the uh, or, you know, sort of um, uh, yeah. me too, me too Republicanism. Let's get a quick question Chris, in from Dave McKinney. Chris, yeah, it's your, your friend Dave here. Um, so I guess back on Prof, though, what what is... Yeah, you know, I, I respect your judgment as a, as a conservative. You, you've been around for a long time and, and understand politics better than most people do. But, but I yeah. just I struggle with, you know, the, you know, at what point was what Prof was doing? What, what at what point did it amount to disinformation with those newspapers that were going into people's mailboxes? I mean that that seemed that seemed to my way of thinking just deception because it, it looked like a newspaper, but but that, that's clearly not what they were. Um, voters can judge that for themselves. I, let me tell you something. I, I started campaigning for the Nutria Democrat organization in about 1964, okay, for Lynn Williams. And I was. How, were, were you like four Democrat. years old when you did that? <laughs> I was about eight or nine. But um, <laughs> I, was, I was handing out Democrat, you know, flyers up in uh, Niles and Nutria Township. And some of which I still have, by the way. And, and I want to tell you, every side has always characterized events and issues and questions for public policy in their own way. OK, I've seen a lot of phony representations on Republican mailers in primaries and on Democrat mailers in general elections for the entire 45 years I've been involved, you know, at some level professionally, although I really don't do campaigns anymore. Yeah. But be all that as it may. I, you know, I think that Dan Prof's, I, I think that 
to personalize it is to miss the point. The problem that Dan and, and Uline and, and others who participated, even the guys who recruited Irwin, yeah. none of them illustrated in the results that they were on the same wavelength as the voters. And so you go back to Tony and you say, gosh, I disagree with so much of what Tony says, but she won and all of her people won. We're going to have to leave it there, Chris. Chris Roebling is an Illinois Republican strategist. Thank you so much for joining us. And our thanks to the Chicago Sun-Times, Tina Spondelis and WBEZ's Dave McKinney for sticking around and riding along with us. Thanks.